Welcome to the 205th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our recap of the NBA playoffs, a look at the NHL playoffs, and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And we will start in the NBA, where Patrick went 3-1 and one with his predictions. Similarly, in Major League Baseball, Patrick went 3-1 and one with his weekend series predictions. That means Patrick went 6-2 and two combined, brings him to a 728 and 473 overall record, a 60.6% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, obviously, I thought it was a very good week for me. Um, the only pick that I would consider really calling a mistake would be picking the Suns to extend the series against the Nuggets. Um, although I don't really think I can say that it was that much of a mistake to just not expect the Suns to collapse at home. I mean, obviously it happened last year, but I think it's unfair to just expect that since it happened to last year's team, this team would be the same because, you know, they have Kevin Durant. It's a little bit of a different roster, a lot of different role players as well. Um, but in the end, they collapsed all the same. Um, there was no difference between last year's team and this year's team, but in terms of that home collapse in the final game. So, yeah, the Nuggets beat the Suns. That was my only loss there. The Lakers beat the Warriors, which I predicted. They closed out the series. The Celtics beat the Sixers to push it to seven, and the Heat beat the Knicks at home, like the Lakers, to also push that or to close out that series, just like the Lakers. Um, so pretty good in the NBA there. Uh, and then... In MLB, the Dodgers swept the Padres, beat them for the second weekend in a row in a series. The Blue Jays swept the Braves. I got that one wrong um, because the Braves had been playing pretty well heading into that series, but the Blue Jays had been kind of in a slump. And, you know, hard to predict that because when you have two good teams, one of them is bound to break out of the slump, and the other one is, you know, at some point probably going to back off of the winning streak. But I thought maybe not just yet. You know, maybe the, the Blue Jays take game one and then the Braves take the next two, something like that. But the Blue Jays end up sweeping the Braves. Um, complete game shutout from Chris Bassett in the first game of the series. And then a walk-off in the last game in the series for the Blue Jays. And I think they won the in-between game 5-2 to two or 4-2, to two, something like that. Um, then you have the Orioles, who took 2-3 from the Pirates. They won the first two games of the series, so it was over by Sunday. And same thing with the Mariners, who took 2-3 from the Tigers. And by the way, that series was not the worst combined record uh, despite me thinking that it might be, but it was actually not that bad overall. Um, but actually both teams nearing 500 to start the series. Although now the Mariners are thick at 500 and the Tigers are a little bit under, but overall good week of predictions. Very good week indeed. And uh, Patrick's predictions for next weekend, which he hopes will be as good as this weekend and the weekend prior to that, even, even better. Uh, they'll be posted on Thursday on our website, fourth and 24.com. Let's move off the weekend predictions and move on to our review of the NBA playoffs starting in the Western Conference semifinals where the number one Nuggets beat the number four Suns, as Patrick alluded to, in six games. Yeah, the Suns got game three and game four back to uh, push this series a little bit longer, but it was the Nuggets who would come out on top pretty, uh, pretty convincingly, I'm not going to lie, um, by winning game five and game six. Um, game five was just... The Nuggets kind of asserting to the Suns that they were going to protect their home floor. They never lost a game on their home floor in this game, in the series at all. Uh, Jokic had 29, 13, and 12 on 20 on 12 of 20 shooting. 
Jamal Murray had 19 points. My Michael Porter Jr. had 19 points. All of them on pretty efficient percentages. And then Bruce Brown had 25 off the bench. So pretty hard for the Suns to beat that when Bruce Brown outscores, I think, Phoenix's entire bench, at least if it wasn't. Yeah, okay, fine. He got outscored 26 to 25 in total by Phoenix's whole bench. But that includes some garbage time minutes as well. Um, So, you know, when that kind of production comes down from Denver's bench, they are not going to have a chance. Um, and, you know, Booker had 28 on 8 of 19, Durant had 26 on 10 of 24, but that is not nearly efficient enough for them to be able to beat the for them to be able to beat the Nuggets, excuse me, knowing or, or with the Nuggets knowing, I should say, that they are the only two offensive weapons, really, that the Suns have. And then in game six with Chris Paul still out, uh, but this time DeAndre Ayton also out, the Suns lost by 25. Uh, 25 was not indicative of the beatdown that they received in this game. Uh, they were losing 44 to 26 at the end of the first quarter. That lead was extended to 30 at the half. And just overall, it, it was just, I mean, it was terrible. Like, it, it is what it is. This team just played crappy. The Nuggets were up by 32 uh, as their largest lead. And Phoenix just had no chance throughout it. And I mean, that 30-point halftime lead, yeah, Phoenix outscored them by three points in the third quarter to get it a little bit closer, but you still knew that the game was over way before then. Um, it was another great game for Nikola Jokic, 32, 12, and 10 on 13 of 18 shooting. Jamal Murray had 26 points, not very efficient, seven of 16 shooting, but still four for seven from three. So it was effective enough. KCP Contavious Caldwell Pope started out this game on fire. I think he was five for his first six from three and from the field and ended up having 21 points on 7 of 11 shooting, pretty similar to uh, what D'Angelo Russell did in one of those games against, I think it was the Grizzlies, or it might have been the first few games against the Warriors. I don't remember. It was a while ago. Um, but then Bruce Brown had 13 off the bench. And when you look at the Suns side of things, campaign had 31 points on 12 of 16 shooting um, as they went very small in their starting lineup. Jock Landell did a good job replacing DeAndre Ayton. He had 13 points and five rebounds. But KD, 23 points on 8 of 19 shooting, and Booker only had 12 on 4 of 13. Landry Shamit had 9 points on 3 of 11 shooting. And again, almost no production from the bench. The only production really came in garbage time. So it, it, it just it, the Suns just were not balanced enough. They didn't have a bench. Um, we talked about this at the trade deadline, that Kevin Durant would probably make them better. But I did say I was worried about the fact that they had no depth at all um, because they had pretty much traded all of it and Jay Crowder wasn't coming back either and they traded him so last year's team was deeper and lost to a worse team than the Nuggets so it's not really too surprising um, that this year's team went out even I guess technically the same round but in a little bit um, more of a blowout fashion not really that surprising to me okay let's move on to the other side of the uh, Western Conference semis where the number six seeded Lakers beat the number seven seeded and defending NBA champion Warriors in six games well, the Warriors came back. They won game five over the Lakers. Um, that game was a home game for them, obviously. But, you know, the key to this series, honestly, was when the war was when the Lakers took game one uh, in Golden State because that flipped home, home court advantage. And, I mean, let's be honest, the Warriors were terrible on the road the whole season. Um, in this series, they didn't win a road game. And I think we knew that that might happen. And the Lakers just really needed to steal one game on the road 
and them getting it done in game one was really the tipping point in the series already. Um, but, you know, the Warriors fought back. They won game five, 121 to 106. Uh, AD had 23 points on 10 of 18 shooting. LeBron had 25 points uh, and nine rebounds and nine of 17 shooting. D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves both had 15. Schroeder had 14 off the bench. So balanced contributions from the Lakers. But offensively, that was not the issue wasn't the offense, I should say. Um, 48.3% from the field, 37% from three. Those numbers aren't bad. But the Warriors, on the other hand, shot 51% from, th- from the field and 37% also from three. And they out-rebounded the Lakers by 10. Um, so that was kind of the key in the game. Draymond had 20 points and 10 rebounds. The Lakers not stopping him was kind of a big point in this game. Uh, Wiggins had 25 on 10 of 18 shooting. Steph Curry had 27 on 12 of 24. Uh, Poole had an okay game off the bench, 11 points on four on five of 14 shooting, but obviously you'd want him to be more efficient, just like Clay Thompson, who had 10 points on three of 12 shooting. Um, and those two, well, they continued to be inefficient into game six, and that ended up being the Warriors' downfall. Um, Steph did okay in this game. Uh, he had 32 points. He had six rebounds, five assists, but he shot 11 of 28. Now, the the, the thing for him is that Nothing he did could have been worse than what Clay did in game six. Um, you know, there's supposed to be this legend about game six, Clay, and all teams need to fear him. Well, if three of 19 and eight points is scary, then people would be afraid of me on an NBA court. Um, he had a terrible game. It is what it is. I mean, Clay's a great player, but the fact of the matter is you can't do this in a game of this magnitude. If you're going to shoot that poorly, you just got to stop shooting at some point and find other ways to contribute. He had five assists. But five assists, three rebounds when you're shooting that poorly, it, it just wasn't enough. He wasn't even – I, I, w- I won't really call out his defense because I, I wasn't watching closely enough to actually make a comment on that. The only positive from the Warriors in this game, um, you know, Steph shot four, four for 14 from three, so that wasn't good. Uh, Jordan Poole shot three for 10 from the field. Maybe the only positive was Dante DiVincenzo, who had 16 off the bench on six of 12 shooting. But – then again, Kevon Looney, I guess, too, had 18 rebounds on nine in nine points in 26 minutes. But the fact of the matter is, the Lakers had exposed early in the series, in game one, that if the Warriors were going to stick Kevon Looney on the floor, the Lakers were going to dominate him. And that, that was going to be it. I mean, there was no way that the Warriors were going to win this series with Looney playing significant minutes because AD had his number. And they put him out there again. And AD didn't necessarily have a crazy game. But the rest of the Lakers' offense opened up through the pick and roll. Um, Lonnie Walker was important off the bench again, had 13 points on four of eight shooting. But it was really the starters that carried them through. AD had 17 points and 20 rebounds, so an amazing game for him. LeBron had 30 points, nine rebounds, nine assists on 10 of 14 shooting. A great performance from him. Uh, Austin Reeves had 23, and D'Angelo Russell had 19 on seven of 15 shooting. So overall, really balanced contributions from the Lakers. Um, And... That was that was all they needed to get past the Warriors was that LeBron near 30-point triple-double. And then Austin Reeves, 23-6-5 on 4-5 from 3. They shot 50% from 3. They shot 52% from the field. The Warriors took 103 shots in this game, um, while the Lakers shot 75 from the field, shot 42 free throws because, you know, they just relentlessly attacked the paint. Um, and the Warriors, I guess that was the reason why they brought Looney in the game, but it still didn't really work out. Um, Lakers end up winning this game shot 22 fewer threes 
than the Warriors and made the exact same amount. That's all you need to know about game six and why the Lake and why the Lakers won the series. Okay, well, let's move on to the Eastern Conference semis, where the number eight seeded Heat beat the number five seeded Knicks in six games. Well, the Knicks bounced back. They won game five. Um, they, they proved that, you know, they were a valiant opponent for the Heat, but not good enough. They won game five, 112, 103. But I think the Heat really kind of shook that off pretty easily. Jalen Brunson had 38 points in that game on 12 of 22 shooting. RJ Barrett had a good game, and Julius Randle also had a good game, 26 points for Barrett and 24 for Randle. But the fact of the matter is, if you know anything about the Knicks, those two guys have been, you know, to say the least, inefficient um, at times. Or sorry, not in, not inefficient, inconsistent. That's the word I was looking for. Um, there have just been a lot of games where they have played well one game and then they're not good the next. And the fact of the matter is, when they were on their big streaks this year, Randall and Barrett were contributing consistently. And when they were off, that's when they started to slump again. Um, surprisingly enough for the Heat, Jimmy Butler had 19, but the second or and, and Bama had uh 18 and 8 on 7 of 11 shooting. But the third leading scorer in this game was Duncan Robinson, who wasn't even in the rotation coming into the playoffs. Um, so he he's kind of been an interesting add back into the mix for the Heat. Obviously, he was a part of the 2020 team that made the uh NBA finals and everything. But it's just been very interesting seeing him back in there. He obviously fits the mold of Miami well, but, you know, he he doesn't he hasn't been playing a lot recently. But in game six, the Heat were able to turn it around. Stellar defense won them this game. Um, Duncan Robinson's minutes cut down a lot, I will say. It does make sense that his minutes were cut down. Struces went up and they played better defense because the fact of the matter is he Struce is the better defender. That's why he starts in the first place. Uh, but the Heat just really locked in on defense, and that's why they won this game. They only shot 26% from three and 40% from the and just over 40% from the field. Um, but they won 96 to 92. Jimmy Butler had 24 points, but on seven of 22 shooting, he had eight rebounds as well, though. Bam had 23 and nine on nine of 20 shooting. Um, off the bench, you had Kyle Lowry having 11 points and nine assists. Pretty good performance from him. Um, and also four rebounds there. But Overall, I mean, just cold offensively for both teams, but the Heat, they just played amazing defense other than the fact that Jalen Brunson had 41 points on 14 of 22 shooting. But like I said, the downfall of the Knicks was the fact that Randall and Barrett were inconsistent. Randall and Barrett combined to shoot four for 24. Haha, <laughs> lucky number me. Um, four and 20, fourth and 24, hey. Um, but, you know, that's a nice number when it's your birthday and it's a nice number for this podcast, but it's a horrible number when you're talking about shooting percentage. Uh, and that ended up being the downfall of the Knicks. R Barrett had one was had 11 points on one of 10 shooting. Randall had 15 and 11 on three of 14. They got two points from Mitchell Robinson, three points from Quentin Grimes, the other starters. That is just not nearly enough. I don't care what Jalen Brunson does. And he deserves a lot of credit in the series for really keeping the Knicks in it. They wouldn't have been anywhere close if it weren't for him, but at the same time, it's just not enough to have one guy go off in the playoffs. All right, well, let's move to the uh, final conference semifinal. Uh, number two seeded Boston Celtics took down the number three seeded Philadelphia 76ers and their process in seven games. Well, okay, I think the process has been over for a while, so I don't know why I had to slide that one in there. But um, look, I mean, the process ended as soon as James Harden was there instead of Ben Simmons. But... Um, Process comments aside, the, the Sixers had a perfect opportunity to win the series. I mean, Joel Embiid, um, it, it's been well noted now 
It's very interesting that he's going to be the only NBA MVP ever to never make a conference finals in his career, at least up until this point. Obviously, he still has opportunities to make that stat incorrect, but Jokic has made it twice. Obviously, Giannis has won a finals. Uh, you know, Steph, LeBron, KD, all the recent MVPs, they've all made it. Um, Russ was in the conference finals and in the NBA and in the NBA finals a long time ago. Uh, but look, going back to this game specifically, MB did have a good game. Uh, he had uh, 33 points on 10 of 23 shooting as Philly took the lead, took the win 115 to 103 on the road. It was surprising for me um, that Boston dropped that game at home. I thought they had lost the series as soon as they dropped this one at home. Uh, I, I thought that Philly was going to be able to get one of the next two, maybe even close it out in six. But I didn't predict that, and then I realized, you know what? If I'm if I'm so confident in the Celtics winning Game Six, they're probably going to come back and win Game Seven as well. Um, just not good defensively from Boston in this game. The Sixers shot 50-40-85 as a team with 27 free throws, and Bede had 10 of 11 from the free throw line. Harden was eight of 10 from the free throw line. He had 17 points, 10 rebound, 10 assists, and eight rebounds. And Bede had 33 points and seven rebounds on 10 of 23 shooting, as I mentioned. Tobias Harris had 16 points, 11 rebounds uh, on 7 of 10 shooting. Daniel House off the bench had 10 points and 5 rebounds on 5 of 7 shooting. Uh, and Tyrese Maxey had 30 points on 6 of 12 from 3, also with 7 rebounds and 3 assists. Um, so really everybody on Philly contributed offensively, whereas Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were kind of the only ones doing anything um, for Boston as much as, you know, that... Um, that that, that kind of is rude to the other players on that team. And look, they didn't play good defense in this game. Um, the leading score off the bench and the leading score overall that wasn't Tatum, Smart, or Brown was Peyton Pritchard, who played nine minutes of garbage time, really, um, and had eight points uh, in those minutes, but in just nine minutes. But the thing is, they shot under 40% as a team, 31.6% from three. Al Horford was 0 for 7 from three in this game, had no points. Uh, Derek White only had seven points on two of six shooting. Marcus Smart had 14 on two of seven, but that's clearly not enough. Tatum had 36 points on 11 of 27 shooting, and Brown had 24 on nine of 16. But this game wasn't that important. Let's let's move on to the next games. I will say that that was obviously the downfall, that inefficiency shooting. But where the series really turned on its head was game six. The Celtics made an adjustment. They took Derek White out of the starting lineup. They went down to a seven-man rotation. They put Robert Williams in the starting lineup to give more defense on Embiid. And even without the offensive production that they needed from Al Horford, Horford still had 11 rebounds. Um, he only had two points. But Jalen Brown was powering them through most of this game. He had 17 points on 6 of 13 shooting. Marcus Smart had 22 points on 8 of 15 shooting. To be honest with you, ugly shooting numbers across the board. Um, 42% from the field. And Jason Tatum really felt like the star of this game, despite shooting 5 for 21 uh, but look, the Sixers shot 36% from the field, 23.5% from three. I got to say, this was, if anything, more of a Sixers collapse than anything else. Um, and Bean had 26 points on nine of 19 shooting. Maxi had 26 points on nine of 20 shooting. But James Harden was four for 16. He had, the, he had nine assists, but only 13 points and then seven rebounds to go with it. Um, and as a team, they just could not shoot the ball. The Anthony Melton was over four from three. Uh, Harden was over six from three and Bede was over two. PJ Tucker was two for seven. And that, and other than Maxi going three for nine and George Niang going two for three, that was the best mark on the team. Um, but the Celtics 
They got enough production, just barely Malcolm Brogdon pitching in 16 off the bench on four of six from three. That was just enough that when Jason Tatum finally woke up in the fourth quarter, because he had been cold to start this game, um, that that was just enough to win the game. I think Tatum though was one of 10 or something like that, or one of 12 to start the game and then ended the game like four for his last six or seven, something like that. Um, and ended up making a bunch of clutch threes at the very end of the game that uh, pushed it over for the Celtics. Yeah, it was 81 to 83 and Tatum made Tatum made one, three to make it 84 to 83, made another three to make it 87 to 83 um, and then a few possessions later made another one to make it 92 to 84. And then that was kind of the end of the game. And then he also made one to make it 95 to 84. So Tatum hit four threes in the final. What is this? I'm, I'm trying to look at the play by play the final five minutes of the game. Um, and he had done nothing before then. That was his first made three of the game came with like under with 450 ish, I think. And at the same time, that was just enough to win. And then in game seven, I mean, Jason Tatum woke himself up in the fourth quarter and he just did not stop. He, he just couldn't stop. I mean, no one could stop him. Jalen Brown had a nice 25 points in this game, but the only stats I'm going to go into are just Jason Tatum's. Um, and Okay, fine. I'll go into shooting numbers for the Sixers first. Embiid had five, was five of 18, 15 points. Maxi 17 points, five of 12. Maxi was pretty good in this series. I think he deserves a lot more credit than he was getting. But James Harden, again, did not really show up in the losses. Three of 11 shooting, nine points. Uh, did have seven assists and six rebounds, but Tobias Harris was their leading score with 19 um, on seven of 13 shooting. And PJ Tucker started the game on fire in the first quarter, but then the Celtics keyed in on him more. I think he had the first 10 point quarter he had had in like three or four years. Um, but then he only ended the game with 11 points. So the Sixers, uh, they just got flattened by the Celtics defense. They shot 37% from the field and 22% from three. And Jason Tatum and the Celtics just caught on fire. Uh, Brogdon had 12 off the bench. Brown had 25, as I mentioned earlier. But Jason Tatum had 51 points, the most ever in a game seven, on 17 of 28 shooting, 6 of 10 from three, 13 rebounds. Uh, he took 10 less shots than Steph did to get to 50 uh, in his game seven performance against the Kings. This was one of the best performances I've ever seen in a playoff game. And, and they needed it. Um, they were losing at the beginning of this game. But kind of a technical foul uh, for grabbing Jalen Brown on the bench by George Niang kind of seemed to ignite the Celtics. Um, and they had already gotten a flagrant on James Harden for kind of flailing his elbow on a little bit of a flop that turned into elbowing someone in the face. And then that ended up being free throws for the Celtics. They got the ball. Uh, they shot a few free throws. They went on a little 7-0 run. But the most important thing in this game was that the Celtics had a three-point halftime lead the Sixers hit a three to tie it at 55, and the Celtics went on a 24-3 run from that point on. And it, it, you knew the game was over probably in the middle of that run. And then when the Celtics just kept extending it, it was just unbelievable. I mean, they ended up outscoring the, the Sixers 33-10 to in the third quarter, and that was when the game and the series ended was that third quarter. Uh, but just what a performance from Jason Tatum. Can't really say enough about it, but I'm going to have to stop now because if I don't, then we're not going to be able to talk about hockey. All right, well, we're not quite done with the NBA. Uh, let's go quick predictions for the Western Conference Final and the Eastern Conference Finals. In the Western Conference Final, I have the Lakers defeating the Nuggets in seven games. Um, I don't, there's no, you know, specific reasoning as to why I'm picking this. I just think that you can't pick against LeBron in these situations. And I actually do think 
that AD is a pretty nice matchup um, for Nikola Jokic, and he can kind of move him around. And Jokic isn't really fast enough to guard him around the court. And obviously he's got to stay on the floor because he is Denver's best player. Um, I think this series will have a lot of offense in it. That's my prediction, and I think the Lakers will pull it out in seven. And I'll be contrarian just so we don't pick the same thing. I'll take the Nuggets in seven and what I believe will be a highly entertaining series, um, one that I'm looking forward to watching. And, you know, NBA basketball is kind of like fourth on my list. So let's move over to the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, I have the Celtics in six. Um, Thought about saying in seven, but I don't think it would be fair to the quality team that the Celtics are to say that they would let this series get to seven. They might. I think they're going to win it no matter what. Um, but I, I do think the series will be close. Um, I think the Heat will seal a few games, some Jimmy Butler games when Tam and Brown aren't shooting their best. Something like that will allow the Celtics to uh, slip up a few times. But overall, the Celtics went out in six. All right. Well, I wish you would have predicted Celtics Celtics in seven because then I would have gone with my gut Celtics, Celtics in six. But I didn't want to be the same as you. So I said Celtics in five. Um, if Jason Tatum keeps playing like he's playing, uh, it's going to be over quick. But then again, Miami's a great defensive team. So I, I, I'll say Celtics in five, but I, I think yours, you've got it spot on. All right, that wraps up our look at the NBA playoffs. Let's have a look at the NHL and what some people call the best postseason in sports. The Stanley Cup playoffs with conference semifinal action, starting in the Eastern Conference where the Florida Panthers beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in five games. Yeah, this was definitely the, sh- the shocker of the uh, of this round, obviously, after Florida had beaten Boston to even get here in the first place. But, you know, maybe at this point, after they had already gotten there, it wasn't so much of a surprise that they were able to win the series, although the fashion that they wanted in was crazy to me. Um, I thought it was going to six. I thought that Toronto was going to win game four, win game five uh, at home, and then Florida would finally close it out at home in game six. But Toronto did go on the road. They did steal game four in Florida, two to one. Um, Not the most entertaining game. We'll admit I wasn't really watching it that much, but uh, Florida got a power play goal late in the third period. That was all they got, uh, just a power play goal from Sam Reinhart, whereas Toronto got a goal in the second period and then also in the third period. The second period was a power play goal by Nylander and then a third period goal by Mitch Marner. And that was all the Toronto Maple Leafs needed to, I almost called them the Raptors. You can tell I'm in basketball mode. Um, that's all they needed to push it to game five. But in game five, very entertaining game. Sergei Bobrovsky, though, he was definitely the star of the game. 50 saves in this one in an overtime victory for Florida. Um, the, I mean, I don't know what you can say other than how good Bobrovsky was. Florida was up two to nothing in the first period after an Aaron Ekblad power play goal and a Carter Verhage goal, but Toronto came back. Um, Riley scored a goal in the second period, Nylander again in the third period. But then in overtime, Nick Cousins, he comes in, scores the game-winning goal for the Panthers, seals the series uh, with Bobrovsky, who had 50 saves. I mean, again, that's just crazy. Um, But, yeah, I mean, look, Florida... I'm giving the credit to Bobrovsky. That's all I can say. Um, It was just a great game that they played. Um, I would talk about the Maple Leafs goalie, but for some reason ESPN doesn't have a goalie summary for the losing team. Don't ask me why, Um, but it's not there. So I guess that's all I got for this series. Just very happy for Florida. Love the underdog story and hope they can continue it on in the next series, despite what my brain says about that series. All right. Well, the other uh, Eastern Conference semi, the Carolina Hurricanes beat the New Jersey Devils in five games. 
Yeah, I was confident having watched the first two of these series very, very closely um, that Carolina was going to close this out quickly. You, I don't think, had watched as much of it as I did, and you thought that New Jersey, you know, after winning game three, could kind of bring it back a little bit, but that was not going to happen. Carolina was just dominant um, in this series. Uh, they they were able to take game four, six to one, after the Devils had won game three, eight to four, just an offensive onslaught. What can you say? Um, they didn't even need Sebastian Ajo to score in this game. He didn't even have a point in this game. They just kind of dominated in the second period. It's where it got away from uh, New Jersey. It was one to nothing, New Jersey, actually. Jack Hughes had the first goal of the game, uh, but Carolina tied it up towards the end of the first period, and then second period was all Carolina, five goals to make it six to one by the end, and that was the end of the game pretty much. And then in the last game of the series, game five, Carolina closed it out in overtime. Uh, they were it was two to two going into overtime, but then uh, fast with the overtime goal uh, after no goals in the third period. Kind of kind of surprising from the series because there was a lot of goals back and forth um, in this one. But it was two to two at the end of the second. It stayed that way through the third, and then in overtime, uh, Carolina was able to end the game and win the series. Yep, and you and I both had predicted Florida and Carolina, so uh, might might know, know a little bit about hockey despite not watching it too much. Well, we had predicted game. that in the middle of the series, though. Yeah, so yeah, a yeah. Little bit Shh, cheating, yeah, I know, but, I know, yeah, a little yeah. cheating, but hey, we even got we kind of got the total games right, all, each of us off by one in one series. But anyway, let's move on to the Western Conference where the Stars beat the Kraken in seven games. Yeah, I did say that I was picking the Kraken because of my heart, not because of my mind. Um, my mind was right as normal. But my heart, unfortunately, broken. Uh, I love expansion teams. Seattle had a 2-1 lead in the series. But I think there was kind of a feeling that Dallas would probably come back and eventually win this one. Uh, on last Tuesday, after we had finally talked about the podcast for the first time, of course, I had to jinx a team that I picked. Um, Dallas, six goals on the board. Max Domi had two in this game. Uh, Joe Pavelski had one on a power play. Uh, one, one of Domi's goals was an empty net goal. But still... Um, Schwartz for Seattle had two goals in this game, but in the end, doesn't matter. Dallas won six to three, stole that road game. And that's when I kind of knew that Seattle probably wouldn't win the series because they already didn't have, uh, home ice, but when they had lost a game at home, you know, they obviously stole the first game on the stars home, home court or home ice. I, I almost said home field first. Then I almost said home court. Of course, I finally got to home ice eventually, but you can tell inexperienced hockey talker here um but the kraken uh they 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 stole that game one on in dallas but then it got taken back by the stars in game four uh the stars carried that momentum in game five they won five to two in that game pavelski had another goal uh domi no goals this time but look it, you could just tell that this series is starting to get out of control for seattle i thought they were going to lose in six at home once once dallas kind of got it going uh, Dallas throughout these playoffs, actually, I think in their first two series, I think ESPN put it up that they were two and four in the first in the first three games of their series so far um, as the wild were up two to one on them also. But then they swept the wild in the rest of the series and one in six. And then again, they did the same thing to the Kraken. The Kraken did battle back in game six um, and they did win six to three uh, to send it to a game seven. But I'm not going to lie, I wasn't too hopeful, even though they were my pick. Um, just because y you could tell, y you could kind of tell 
that Dallas had just turned the series around and they were going to be able to win it. And in game seven, they did win it. Uh, Dallas jumped out to a two to nothing lead. No goals in the first period. Dallas scored the first goal in the, in the second period, uh, got another one in the third. And then Bjorkstrand scored with 19 seconds left um, for Seattle with the goalie pulled, but you knew that probably wasn't going to be enough. They needed a miracle. They were not able to get that miracle, and Dallas ended up closing the series in seven. But that was a really good game last night, really fun to watch. Okay, let's uh, move to the final uh, Western Conference semi- Western Conference semifinal game. The Las Vegas Golden Knights beat the Edmonton Oilers in six games. Well, you have a lot of offense going around in this series. Um, I think that was obvious. That was something that we knew would happen for sure. But uh, Edmonton, they stole game four. They were at home, though, uh, to tie the series up two to two. Uh, they won that game four to one. Bukestad, Ekholm, Bouchard, and Nugent Hopkins had the first four goals of the game. Vegas fought back with one in the third, but that was not nearly enough to win this game. Uh, and then uh, again, a good performance by the Oilers. But you know, interesting. No, no McDavid or Drysaddle goals in that game. Um, but that's a rare sight to see. But then in game five, McDavid started off the game early. He scored on a power play. Uh, Jack Eichel equalized for Vegas. Uh, Zach Hyman scored on a power play again for the Oilers. I believe they have some of the best power play stats, if not the best of all time. So not too surprising that they got a lot of goals from there, but that is kind of what they do. Um, Then Vegas, they came back in the second period, put on a show for their home fans, losing two to one heading into the second. They put up three goals in the second to take a four to two lead, two two power play goals. Um, and then McDavid had a power play goal in the third to make it four to three, but not quite enough for um, for the Oilers as they wouldn't get a goal with the empty net. And Vegas ended up winning four to three uh, credit to Ryan Nugent Hopkins in this game, who had three assists, uh, had an assist on all the goals. Um, and Zach Hyman also had two points as well with the uh, with his own goal and then the assist on a McDavid goal. But fact of the matter is Vegas won game five. Uh, then they pushed it to game six on the road. But in game six, it was Mar- game six, excuse me. It was March Assault's uh, hat trick. I almost said, I don't know why I almost said power play goal or empty net goal, but hat trick, that's the word I was looking for. All of his goals in the second period. Again, Edmonton had a lead um, two to one going into the second period. This game, though, was insane because it started off with a goal by Vegas 24 seconds in the game while ESPN was still showing the Cardinals and the Red Sox on Sunday night baseball. I mean, hockey fans are already complaining that it started. The game started so late in the first place because it was a terrible start time, but then they also had baseball going on in ESPN at the same time. So couldn't get much worse if you were a hockey fan, but then McDavid scored 55 seconds into the game. So just 30 seconds later, uh, less than a minute in, and it was already one-to-one. Um, Edmonton got another goal in the first three minutes, but then it was March Assault's hat trick all in the second period again to make it four to two um, before that. And then Carlson, the series ceiling empty net goal for Vegas as they won five to two to move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, Western Conference Finals, excuse me. Uh, yeah, pretty crazy game six Edmonton scoring on the first two shots and then looked like anyway, that wasn't a crazy game, as you mentioned. All right. Uh, well, let's uh, then move on to our uh, predictions for the Stanley Cup finals with uh, somebody here predicting four of the teams correctly and the other person predicting three of them correctly. Let's see uh, how accurate we are in predicting who gets to the finals to chase Lord Stanley's Cup. Yeah, we'll see how this works when we're predicting from the start of a series. Um, I have Carolina in six. I'm going to be honest. I, I didn't watch them in the first round at all. 
uh, because they, I, I think they were on near or, or close to the times that the Kings were on all the time. And I was trying to do work um, before the Kings would come on and I was watching the LA Kings. Um, so I couldn't watch them, but Carolina, they really impressed me with what they did to New Jersey. I mean, they flat out just crushed them. They were nonstop on the offensive end. Sebastian Ajo didn't even have to do that much in that series, especially in the last few games. I barely mentioned his name when we were talking about those two games, if I did at all. Um, but uh, look, Florida feels like a team of destiny. It, it feels like the same thing with the Miami Heat, honestly. Um, it's funny because they're both South Florida teams, but I just, I just don't see them completing this run all the way. I, I feel like every time you have a great underdog story like this, it always just barely ends up um, crumbling uh, down and that team loses at the final moment, no matter who their opponent is. You know, I think last year, despite the fact that, you know, there's obviously some disdain here because they are an NL West opponent of the Dodgers, the Padres took down a team, an 111 win team and also took down the Mets who had what the highest payroll, like in the history of the existence of money, because they had a bajillion dollars spent um, to put that roster together. But then, of course, it fell short and they lost to the Phillies before they even reached the World Series. So I feel like sometimes you see those Team of Destiny things happening. And then at some point, the magic just kind of runs out and it turns it and it turns back into the teams that they were before the postseason. Uh, the Padres barely made the playoffs, had about 88, something like that, 90s, so on wins. The Panthers barely made the playoffs here. And I just really think that Carolina is going to show their quality. Um, win the series in six. Although, again, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Florida won the series, and it will be definitely close. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm going to go uh, contrarian to you, Panthers in seven, because if they're going to win, it's going to be a close series that they scratch eke out at the end. Let's move to the Western Conference predictions. I have Vegas in seven. I would have had them in six if it was against Seattle, but I think Dallas is good enough to push this series pretty late. I think this will be a very entertaining series. I'm very excited to watch both of these series. Um, but in the end, I have Vegas in seven. That's my pick. I also have them winning the finals, but I've had that for a while now. So um, I will just throw that out there that that was my pick before even the last round. As soon as um, Colorado and Boston had gone down, that was uh, I immediately turned my head to Vegas and I'm glad to be proven right so far. Hope they can carry it through and make me look smart by winning this series. All right. I'm going to go with Vegas in seven as well. Um, let's move off of our really in-depth look at uh, the NHL, which is really the first time we've done that, really enjoyable, and turn our attention to our weekly look at Major League Baseball, starting as we always do in the American League East. Well, there was a point this week, actually multiple points this week, where every single team in the AL East would have been leading the AL Central. Um, the Red Sox have lost four games in a row, and still they'd be trailing the Central leaders by one game. But look, this division, top to bottom, is so stacked. It's so unbelievably good. And the fact of the matter is, the fact that these teams don't play each other 19 games a year is going to destroy the rest of the league because there's almost no chance that all these teams won't make the playoffs when they don't have to play each other as much. Um, the Rays are 31-11. and 11. They came off a series. But actually, no, I think the Yankees did beat them in the series over the weekend. If not, it was a four-game split. Um, but the Yankees played them tough over the weekend. They've been playing better recently, but I'll get to them in a second. The Orioles, they've been playing well. They won the series against the Pirates. Uh, they did lose yesterday, I think, against the Blue Jays, maybe against the Braves, not quite sure. Um, but they've lost two in a row, but they won that weekend series against the Pirates. They're 26 and 15. They're second in this division. The Blue Jays are third at 24 and 17. They're six and four in their last 10. Then you have the Yankees, who are seven and three in their last 10, 24 and 19. The only kind of rough part of this division 
uh, are the Boston Red Sox. They got swept by the Cardinals over the weekend, but the Cardinals, as we'll talk about later, have somehow found their magic. Um, they're four and six in the last ten, but the fact of the matter is, you shouldn't be nine games back in this divi- in in a division this early in the year when you're twenty two and twenty, and yet here the Red Sox are just kind of unfortunate for the circumstances for them. It's going to be tough to make a wild card um, when you have all of these teams in your division that you're going to have to play because they still do play them more obviously than other teams in the AL do. But you know, you look at a team like the Astros who's only a half game ahead of the Red Sox. You got to figure they play better. Uh, for the rest of the year, the Rangers look really good. Um, and then, you know, you're going to have whoever wins the Central. So there are limited playoff spots open. Right now it would be the Orioles, the Blue Jays, and the Yankees all making it from this division. Um, and then the Red Sox would be the odd men out uh, along with the Astros and then the Angels who have the same record as them. Um, but overall, this division is just crazy. I can't say much about it. However, I can say a lot about the AL Central um, with how bad it is. The AL Central... Twins leading at 23 and 19, but that's about it. That's the only bright spot in the division. The Guardians, they're 19 and 21. They're three games back. That's crazy to be three games back when you're under 500. Um, the Tigers are 18 and 21. That is good enough for only three and a half games back. And then you have the White Sox and the Royals at 14 and 28 um, and 12 and 31, just bottom of this division, uh, bottom of the league, pretty much. Not too much to say about those two teams, but I'm sorry I cut you off from your transition to the from the east to the central but that's all i got for the central so you can make the the transition to the west all right what you got for the west well i have the rangers in first place at 25 and 16 they got lucky enough uh had the blessings of playing the oakland a's over the weekend very good confidence booster although brent rooker a rookie and the open rooker the rookie um the ops leader in mlb which is crazy to say who is on the oakland a's yes the team who hasn't won double digit games yet 43 games in the season um, he hit a walk-off home run in this series. So good for the A's. They got a win. It was cool. I was watching it. That's the first time I've watched the A's this season, I think, um, for obvious reasons. But the Rangers, still, despite getting walked off by Brent Rooker, uh, are 25 and 16 on the season, three games out of the Astros. The Astros have been playing better recently, though, uh, up to 22 and 19 on the season, trying to reclaim their division throne. The Angels, they've been playing decent, not too great in May, but good enough. Uh, 22 and 20, they're three and a half games back. The Mariners, they have also been playing better recently, 21 and 20, four games back. And then somehow there are 13 games of separation between the fourth place team, the AL West, and the fifth place team, the AL West, because the A's are on pace to be the worst team of all time. Uh, the A's, they're a little 209 winning percentage. Uh, I'm going to plug it into a calculator and tell you that that has them on a pace to win. 33.8 games. Um, if that happened, I mean, I would say I would say they got to get the world's best construction company, uh, get all the governments together, build some super fast stadium that goes up in a year because this team needs to move so desperately. If that's what's going to turn around their franchise, they need it because right now the A's are honestly a stain on the league with how bad they are. This is one of the worst teams there's ever been. Um, if you don't count teams where, you know, owners literally owned two different teams and traded all their players from one team to the other to make a playoff run. They, I mean, they might still be worse than those teams, but the fact of the matter is in the modern era, this team is horrible. I mean, as good as the Rays are with their plus plus one twenty run differential, I keep going back to this. They're they're They have a 73.8 winning percentage. The A's are minus 160. They have 321 runs allowed this year. Mind you, there's one team in the AL East that's given up more than 200. So 
They are at a new level of horrible. In the NL East, there was one team over 200 given up. In the NL West, only the Rockies have given up 200, or only the Rockies and the Giants have given up over 200. And the Rockies play at Coors Field, and they've given up 107 fewer runs than the A's. It's just crazy how bad this team is. And I don't know why I spent so much time on it, but I got to say, it's embarrassing how bad the A's are. That's that. That's the end of the story. Point blank, period. They suck. Yeah, well, uh, there was an announcement yesterday. I don't know if you saw it. It looks like they've uh, changed their stadium site, um, but it looks like they really are moving to Vegas. It looks like they're uh, going to locate their stadium on the site of the current uh, Tropicana Hotel. So um, they've moved. That'll be ironic. It'll be, it'll be just as empty as the Trop in Tampa Bay. Yeah, they, uh, well, they're moving from uh, a decrepit site to a decrepit hotel site, but I think they're going to do some renovations there. It looks like the, looks like that move is on and maybe even as soon as next year, uh, playing at a AAA park where their AAA uh, affiliate is in Las Vegas. They, they may not even be in Oakland uh, next year uh, when, even though they won't have a professional stadium to play in, but maybe a AAA stadium is worthy of the current talent on the roster. All right, let's move over to the national league starting in the East. The Atlanta Braves are 26 and 15 at the top. Then you have a three-team cluster with the Marlins, the Mets, and the Phillies. Um, 20 and 21 for the Marlins, 20 and 21 for the Phillies, and 20 and 22 for the Mets. Uh, then you have the Nationals, who are 18 and 23, eight games back. Actually pretty respectable for them. Um, I'm going to go back to Philly for a second. Not baseball-related, but this just in from Woj. Uh, Doc Rivers is gone in the least surprising firing of all time. Uh, he will no longer be the coach of the 76ers. If you consider the fact that Coach Bud got fired and Monty Williams got fired, I don't know how Doc Rivers would have made it through this offseason, but that's a little side tangent. Um, first time we've had podcast breaking news, though, just came. Yeah, wouldn't be end, surprised so. if those three play musical chairs to some extent, right? But anyway, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Monty Williams was the coach of the Bucks or the Sixers next year at all. I, I, I honestly, it Doc could be nearing the end of his years though, because he's he's getting up there in terms of age. So I don't know what he's planning on doing. And he's got two years left his on his year. contract, so he can do nothing and get paid. But back in the National League East, yeah, back to the NL East. Um, you know. Uh, Washington, hey, the Wizards might need a coach too. Uh, but they're 18 and 23. They're respectable. None of these teams are horrible. Um, the Marlins still continue to get lucky with those one-run games, but it, it'll calm down eventually. Um, the Mets will play better eventually, and then later on the Braves will uh, still win the division. Anyway, but I do have to mention, speaking of Philly, Bryce Harper, man. I mean, this dude is hitting like 350 since his return from the IL. Not only did he return in less than half a year from Tommy John surgery, he didn't have any spring training. He didn't have any rehab starts. He didn't do anything. He just went straight to playing against the Dodgers and had a five-hit game like two, two days after he came back in the league. It's crazy how good this dude is at baseball. Um, love to see him healthy. Led the Phillies to the World Series last year. Uh, but that's all I got for the NL East. I mean, that guy is insane. And the Braves are also insane as a team, though. I can't take anything away from them. All right, let's move over to the NL Central. The Brewers are leading. Finally, the Pirates have been dethroned. Um, maybe they haven't been dethroned. Maybe they dethroned themselves. Uh, they are the Pirates. I'll move on to them really quick. Are two and eight in their last ten games um, to get to a twenty-two and nineteen record after they had the best record in the National League. That is no longer theirs. That belongs to the Dodgers. Uh, the Brewers, though, taking the lead in this division. The Cardinals starting to trend up. They have won four in a row, seven and three in their last ten, which puts them at six and a half games back of the Brewers. Only two and a half games back of the Cubs, who are in third here uh, at 19 and 22. And then you have the Reds in the middle of that sandwich at 18 and 23, but by far the worst run differential. Actually, everybody in this division is positive, except for the Reds, who are minus 30. So 
looking like the Brewers are probably on pace to win this one because they have a better roster than the Pirates. Um, not as serious injury issues like O'Neill Cruz, all that stuff. Uh, but look, it looks like the Cardinals are starting to bring it back. I don't know if they dug themselves into too big of a hole, but this division, to be honest with you, the teams at the top don't scare me that much. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals are at least able to make this a close run by the end of the year. All right, let's move over finally to the National League West. Yeah, the Dodgers have been on fire. They have reclaimed the best record uh, in the National League, not quite in the uh, whole league, but they are second best overall, just barely ahead of both Baltimore and Atlanta. At 27 and 15, they've won six in a row, eight and two in their last 10 after sweeping the Padres. Uh, The Diamondbacks, though, somehow not losing that much ground. They've won four in a row themselves, uh, only three games back at the Dodgers, although most of that is because they played terrible opponents. Um, and then you have the Padres, who are 20 and 22. They are 3 and 7 in their last 10. Obviously, a lot of that losses to the Dodgers, 1 and 5 to the Dodgers over the last six games. Uh, and then you have the Rockies. Sorry, then you have the Giants at 18 and 23, who are 4 and 6 in their last 10. And the Rockies, who are 18 and 24, fresh off a series victory over the Phillies over the weekend, um, nine games back at 18 and 24. All right. Well, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, May 23rd, where we will recap Patrick's weekend predictions, continue our review of the NBA playoffs, also take a look at NHL playoff action. So both the NBA and the NHL will be in uh, conference finals actions, and we'll have our weekly look at Major League Baseball. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games that will be posted as always on Thursday, and his Major League Baseball power rankings that will be updated every Wednesday. All that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.